We're in the book of Ephesians this morning, and uh, we're going to be looking in the fifth chapter of the book of Ephesians. And uh, I do want to thank again all of the volunteers and workers that put in a lot of hours, not just this week with Music Camp, but in all the preparation and getting things ready to go. It's one of it's one of the greatest weeks of the year here at First Baptist Fairburn, and it's a time that we can really pour into our kids. So uh, families that are visiting, we, we do want to thank you for entrusting your kids to us uh, during the week of uh, music camp and for coming and worshiping with us uh, this morning. Um, I do want to introduce myself. Uh, pastor Lewis introduced me earlier. I'm, I'm Evan. I'm, I'm pastor here. I wasn't able to be here this week. Um, completely my fault. Um, I, my wife told me several times to check the church calendar, make sure we didn't have anything on before we scheduled our vacation and somebody didn't right here. And uh, our church council was gracious enough to say, you know, go ahead, do your vacation. Just don't let it happen again. So uh, we're not going to let that happen again. Uh, we'll make sure that we're here. But I do want to thank Ben for filling in for me last Sunday. I've heard a lot of people talking about how fantastic a job he did, um, which he always does. And we're grateful for for that. And, and, and just a reminder that right after the service, um, we're going to have our time to say farewell to uh, Ben and Julie as they transition to uh, a pastor physician in uh, Georgetown, Kentucky, Great Crossing Baptist Church there. And uh, we all know the indelible imprint that his family has left here um, on First Baptist Church of Fairburn. Um, so if you've got your place in the book of Ephesians chapter 5, I want, I want to invite you, if you're able, to stand with me as we look at the Word of God together. We're going to be in verses 15 uh, to 21 and tying in a theme of worship as we walk according to the call that Christ Jesus has placed on us. And as Paul writes this, he says in verse 15, pay careful attention then as to how you would live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what is the Lord's will. And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Let's pray together. God, how wonderful it is that you, almighty God, the creator, our maker, would see fit to save us because of your son. That you would look into the despair of our sin and, and even though sin brings on wrath and even though sin brings on agony, you saw in your mercy a compassionate uh, you took a compassionate view towards us that you would say, I'm going to send my son Jesus to die for their sin, to wash them, to make them clean so that they can know me. What other reason do we need to worship God? God, we ask that today you would imprint your spirit well within our heart that we would walk from here as worshipers of the true and living God even more even closer, even more vibrant in how we praise you. God, we love you. We thank you for loving us, and we ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. 
So you get into this passage of scripture and, and, and just to give you a little background uh, for, for where we've been as we've walked through the book of Ephesians, it kind of structures itself like this. You've got the first three chapters that are intensely theological. Uh, they really develop the idea of what the gospel is and what the gospel has done. So we go all the way back to verse one or verse three of chapter one where it says that God saw fit to bless us with every spiritual blessing. How did he do that? He sent his son and by the son Jesus Christ, he has adopted us as his own children because his son laid down his life for my sin and for your sin. So I don't know what your sin is. I don't know what your sin was. I don't know what your struggle is. It doesn't matter. Jesus Christ died to cover that. And because the blood of Christ covers that, God has said, saw, seen fit to adopt you as his child. What better blessing is there than that? To be able to say, I am a child of God. Guess what? Everybody in the world is not a child of God. That is an errant statement to say we are all God's children. We're not. You're only a child of God if you've come by the way of the cross, the way that God said, I will adopt you, which is the way of Jesus. And just to show that God means business, he seals you. He seals you with his Holy Spirit. It says there in verse 13 of Ephesians chapter one, it says that we were sealed, the down payment, the security of our salvation was given by the power of the Holy Spirit. So he has locked us in to this, to this position of being a child of God. Because we were dead, but he made us alive. We were in darkness, but he brought us to light. We were without hope, but he has given us everything to be hopeful. And so he just fast forwards this a little bit into chapter four and he starts saying, okay, this is what it means. Great, let's have all this deep biblical truth and, and, and theology and this understanding of what it means. But then, okay, you've got to wake up tomorrow and go to work and you've got to live life and you've got to deal with doctors and you've got to deal with lawyers and you've got to deal with neighbors and you've got to deal with yourself. So he says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling by which you have been called the upper call of Christ Jesus, this one who called you into the family of God to begin with, walk in that manner. And so we walk through chapter four, looking at how he has shifted us into a new line of thought into who we are. And I love, if you were with us a few weeks ago on Father's Day, you know how much I love chapter five, verse one, where it says, be imitators of God as beloved children. How, how much greater does it get than that we get to imitate God? Not a cheap copy, but an authentic child walking in the line in the light of the Father. So we get here in chapter five, chapter five, verse 15, and Paul draws us a little bit more into this idea and understanding of walking with Christ. And he says, and pay careful attention then as to how you would live, not as unwise people, but as wise people. See, what Paul is doing is demonstrating for you and for me that our life is ultimately a life about worship. We are worshipers by nature. We are worshipers by the fact that God created us with the ability to relate to him. And so there is something inside of us that yearns for more than what this world and its brokenness can offer. And so we ascribe ourselves to something, to someone in order to place worth and to place value and to place some sort of uh, a, a laudable uh, accolade on it. And we always fall short because we are really good at making terrible gods for ourselves. We, we, we make celebrities our gods. I mean, 
How many Kardashians are there? If you can answer that question, hmm. How many albums did the Beatles put out? Is Tupac dead or alive? There are different things that we throw out there to show that we have ascribed to someone else, to something else, this position of authority that causes us to worship it. What about your kids? Everything in your life centers around your child. And yeah, you want to be a good parent. You want to love your kids. You want to raise them right. But when it comes to where there is nothing outside of what fits into your child's schedule for the rest of the world, you might have a child worship problem. What about your spouse? What about your relationship? What about what's in your bank account? If it starts consuming everything, that is because we are made to worship. But we were made by a God that wanted us to worship him. A God that knew that the only way we could worship him was if he gave us the ability to worship him. And so he sent his son, Jesus Christ, and said, by me, you will be able to worship God in spirit and in truth. So, so we're going to look at worship, and we're going to look at how we walk, and we're going to look at the manner of walk, because it is a manner of how we worship God. So ultimately, Paul shows us in verse 15 and 16 that worship is an observant walk. Look at what he says there. Pay careful attention then to how you live, to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. Can I get an amen on that one? I mean, you don't need the Atlanta Journal-Constitution or WSB or your news of choice to tell you that the days are evil. We don't need... News outlets to let us know what we already know about Atlanta, about Fulton County, about Fayette County, about Coweta County, about Douglas County, about the state of Georgia, about the United States, that we live in wicked times. Times that are dark. And so Paul says, pay attention then, because you know this to be true, Pay attention and be observant in how you actually walk. So just, I don't know if you're outdoorsy people or not. I'm not really outdoorsy, but I like being outdoors on my terms. Outdoors at the beach, yes. Outdoors on a mountainside with nothing ever but a piece of fabric and just figuring out how am I going to live today? Not so much. Just not me. But I grew up on a farm. And there were times that I had to walk across the cow pasture with nothing but the moonlight above me. Now, if you've got a cow pasture and you're a child of Gary Hill, that would be me, you know that there are certain things in that cow pasture that could cause you great harm. Rattlesnakes, Barbed wire fences, electric fences, evidence that a cow had been there a few minutes ago. (laughs) Now, if it's during the day and I can see bright in the light, man, I can just go strutting through there. Yep, I know where everything is and I'm fine. Even when I was a kid, five or six years old, walking through the pasture with my dad, his consistent refrain to me was, watch where you're walking. Watch where you're walking. Watch where you're walking. Because he knows what five and six-year-old boys do. They walk like this. 
And he knows what happens when five or six-year-old boys walk like that across a cow pasture and then want to get in his truck. When I was in college, a couple of buddies of mine and I were out late one night, just small South Georgia town, nothing to do, so we're throwing rocks at road signs, you know, not getting into real trouble, but, you know, we didn't need to be out. Well, growing up in South Georgia, near a farm, there's always that tendency to figure out if cow tipping really works. And growing up in South Georgia on a farm, you know that farmers can be protective of their livestock. So we weren't stupid enough to go to somebody else's farm to try to tip cows over. We might get met with a shotgun. Instead, we went to my dad's farm to try to tip over one of my dad's cows. I forgot to tell my friend where the barbed wire fence was. He missed losing an eye by less than half of a centimeter because it was dark and he couldn't see the danger in the world around him. But Paul says here that when you're walking with Christ, it is you to pay careful attention because there is wisdom to be found in the throne of God by the blood of Christ Jesus because our days are evil and we need to properly navigate those days. We need the light of Christ shining in our life to demonstrate to the world that we can navigate and not get caught up in all of the junk of the world around us. He says, don't waste the time. Look at what he says there. He says, making the most of the time. Making the most of the time. There is an effectiveness that you are called to by the glory of Christ for the world around you based on where you are. So whether you have small children or adult children, whether you are at home or whether you are retired or whether you are at work, whether you're at the doctor's office or sitting in traffic, God has placed you in specific positions, specific places to be a living testimony of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ in your life for your domain and because of that there is no there is no time for frivolity that would cause you to waste time when you could be effective for his time did I step on too many social media toes right there if there is not a bigger waste of time if there is not a bigger paralyzer of the gospel of Jesus Christ active and living in the life of the Christian, it is in everyone's pocket or purse right now. It is. Yeah, I'm on Facebook. Yeah, I'm on Twitter. Yeah, I'm on Instagram. I'm not doing the snap thing. I don't do that one. How are you using it? Don't avoid it. Redeem it. Use it wisely, not to get bogged down into arguments, into fad trends, into hashtags, whether it's Hot Dog Charlie or something else. I had to throw down there, Charlie, wherever you are. Uh, <laughs> hot Dog Charlie. 
So whatever the hashtag is or whatever the movement is, not to get bogged down because of the world, but to lift it up towards the light of Christ Jesus being wise. Because you and I, believe it or not, have a common enemy that wants to usurp our authority, position, power, and our claim by paralyzing us with the uselessness of the world around you. That uselessness could be fashion. That uselessness could be sports. That uselessness could be what's in your bank account, what medicine you think you need, what that person happened to say, keeping up with everyone else's business. There's not enough time. The days are evil and we are drowning in an evil time where people are literally dying and going to hell by the bus load and under our nose we're not reaching them. We're not seeking to equip them with the power of the gospel. We're not seeking to show them the power of God Almighty who raised you up from the depths, who raised you up from death, who raised you up from darkness and said, I'm going to bless you with every spiritual blessing. I'm going to make you my child. Worship, by contrast, demonstrates that we are walking with a precision according to the light of Christ. Further, he goes on in verse 17 and says, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. He's continuing to compare and contrast, to contrast a couple of opposing things, foolishness and the wisdom and the will of God. And he shows us here that worship is a passionate pursuit of the will of God. See, we like to think that worship is what you do when you get here, that you gotta come here to get your worship on, raise your hand and, and sing and shout and dance and sway and all these great things that we like to do in church because that's when you worship. No, what Paul says is what we're doing Doing here because of what God has done in our lives, in our heart, in our real time, is we seek to find out more about who God is, that we can walk closer to Him, walk closer with Him, and that we can see what His will is. Can I give you a spoiler as to what the will of God is? Just a quick spoiler that you would know His glory through the death and resurrection of Christ. That's His will. That you would cause others to know the power of Christ. That's God's will. We lost a generation of Christians in, this, in, in America that were just circling, well, what's God's will? What's God's will? God's will has not changed. Jesus said it best in Luke 19.10. You remember Zacchaeus, the little wee little man that crowned the tree? He, 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 Jesus, Jesus goes to that man and says, hey, I'm coming to your house to hang out. And everybody gets mad because he's... You're going to hang out with a sinner? What in the world? You're supposed to be a holy man. And Jesus says in verse, 19, in verse 10 of chapter 19 of the book of Luke, the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. The son of man came to seek and to save that which was lost. He healed a lot of people. He fed a lot of hungry people. But his purpose was to point to the salvation that only God could offer to the lost. Look at what it says here. He says, so don't be foolish. But 
passionately pursue, seek to understand, strive to understand, strive to wrap your heart, to wrap your mind, to wrap the, the position that you have to leverage yourself for the will of God. And what's that? To see people come to know that we have a creator who loves us and saves us. Let's go Westminster Catechism for a little bit. Those of you that like catechisms. Catechisms are questions and answers. And, and they, they systematically work you through points of theology. So the very first question of the Westminster, or one of the first questions of the Westminster Catechism is, who made you? God made you. You teach these to kids to teach them basic truths about who we are. So you ask the child, who made you? And the answer is, God made me. Well, then the second question is, well, why did God make you? Bonus, if anybody knows the answer to that one. To know him and enjoy him forever. To know God, he made you that you could know him and that you could enjoy him forever. Not enjoy all the stuff he gives, enjoy him. Not enjoy having a roof over your head and food on the table and people around you. Those are good. And he made you so that you could know him and enjoy him forever. Because the roof over your head is going to get blown away, get burned away. It's going to collapse one day. The food on your table is going to, right now, is going to leave you hungry by next meal time. And the friends and people that are around you are going to let you down. But he never will. God called you because he made you and wants you to know him and to enjoy him forever. So he said, you know what? Here's my will. Here's my purpose. I sent my son, Jesus Christ, that you can know that I am truly God, that I am who I say that I am, that I mean what I said, and that I am your father. Anybody here in James Earl Jones right there? All my Star Wars fans out here are. Yeah. He reaches into our life because his will was that people, human beings, rich people, poor people, healthy people, sick people, white people, black people, Hispanic people, Asian people, every people, every tribe, every nation, every tongue would come and hear and know that he is God. That he made us, that he sent Jesus to save us, that we could rejoice because we know him forever forever now all, all my young folks in the room and by young I mean like high school and under uh, you, you look at your friends I want you to start thinking about your best friends that you got right now and, and right now your mantra is man we're going to be best friends forever I haven't been out of high school all that long longer than some of you have been alive. 17 years I've been out of high school. Within two years of graduating high school, I can count on three fingers the number of people I graduated with that were my best friends that I actually still kept up with. Now, I could call a lot of those folks and they'd remember me and be like, oh yeah, how you been? We'd spend 20 minutes catching up and then be like, all right, well, awkward silence. Let's hang up the phone now. Because you're not made to know them forever. You were made to know God forever. Worship is passionately pursuing his will, which was a desire to know him forever. And he says this, but don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, 
but be filled by the Spirit. See, worship ultimately is living a Spirit-filled life. A life filled by the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and some of you in there are like, well, I don't like wine. Well, it doesn't matter. Put your, put your substance of choice in there. It could be liquor. It could be beer. It could be a pill. It could be an injection. It could be something you stick in your nose. Whatever your fix is. And guess what? It's not just about drugs and alcohol. It's your checkbook. It's your fashion. It's your friends. It's your social media likes. It's your kids' schedule. Everything that impedes you from walking fully with God and being filled with the Holy Spirit. It is about being filled with the Spirit of God. I believe that America is in the condition it's in today. Day because too many, too many Christians are walking around without being filled by the Holy Spirit. And that's not a God problem, that's a you problem. I look at the problems that come up in my life that I cause and every one of them, guess what? 100% of them can be traced back to the fact that in that moment, for whatever reason, I was not filled with the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean the Holy Spirit has left me because he promised the Holy Spirit will never leave you. It means that I chose not to, for whatever reason, allow him to have control. This verse is about control. This verse is about what you let into your life that will control you. We're controlled by our emotions. You're like, well, I'm not controlled by my emotions. Okay, are you more prone to respond or react? If you're going to react, you're controlled by your emotions. But if you respond, you might be controlled by your mind. You're too smart. You've got it all figured out. It's called pride. Pride's what's in control. The need for more. Greed can be in control. So it doesn't have to just be a substance. It can be a relationship. Man, some of us are, are bound in these toxic relationships. We're, we're controlled by the fear of man. And, and what I mean by that is we're more concerned with what other people, men or women, friends, boyfriends, girlfriends, husbands, wives, how they consider us than we are about what the Spirit of God has directed in our heart to do. You want to see a great transformation? Go, to the, go no further than Peter himself. Peter, who was so controlled by emotion, he'd get himself caught in the act and, and get caught up and get messed up and cut somebody's ear off and Jesus would correct him time and time again, but then be scared of a 13-year-old girl by the fire when Jesus was on trial, just a few weeks later standing before thousands and saying, you're the ones that put Christ on the cross. I'm here to tell you he's the son of God and he rose again. That's the difference between being controlled by something in the world and being controlled by the Spirit. He says, don't, don't be filled with anything that's going to lead you to this reckless life. Be filled by the Spirit. Then he goes on in verse 19 and says, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, and singing and making music with your heart to the Lord. That, that verse always struck me as odd. It's going to be real with you. Because if you read it at face value, it looks like Paul saying that everybody got to go like, hey, brother, how you doing in Jesus? You know, you got to sing to him, you know? Or like, hey, victory in Jesus. How you doing today, my sake? No, no, that's not what he's saying. What he's demonstrating for us is that congregational worship is the overflow of the Spirit. It's not the opening act. See, too many of us look at church backwards. 
We, we look at church, and, and I've heard it used this way, and sure, church can function this way, but church is not here to fill you up. This is not a gas station where you come, the only time you go to the gas station is because you need to get gas, right? Or maybe you need like one of those hot dogs that's been rolling in that thing for like a couple of days and it's, you know, looking kind of crusty. Man, I just spent a week on the beach and I saw some people that look like those hot dogs that have been crusting out there. And it, it, it just, just don't, 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 don't. But you go to the gas station when you need your tank filled up so that you can get where you're going, right? You got to go to work this week. You can't get to work unless you got gas. So you go to the gas station, you fill up with gas so you can get there. That's, the church isn't designed to be your filling station to get you to next week. Church is meant to be the place where you come already full and it erupts because you've been filled all week. And Paul says in this verse right here, if you're, if you're walking with a spirit-filled life, you're engaging one another at the heart level with what Christ has done. And maybe it comes out as singing, maybe it comes out as praise, but it's a consistent overflow of what the Spirit of God is doing in your life and showing in your life. And the world needs to see that we're serious about this Christ and serious about this Holy Spirit and serious about what he has done. Now, I'm not talking about going crazy. And we're not going to start swinging from chandeliers and throwing snakes all over the place. We're not doing that. Because the Holy Spirit keeps us in our lane in the cross. So I'm not about to get out here and tap dance for you and run down there and bop people on the head. No, it's not for show. It's to show that God is true and God is real and that seal is stamped on my heart that I am his child. Congregational worship is the overflow. But at its core, worship will engage your heart. Look at what he says there. He says, you're doing all these things, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart heart now just so you know God's not interested in this muscle mass right here he made it he designed it he wants it to be healthy so you know well just go listen to what the health experts say about how to keep your heart healthy he, he's not saying all right you got to come out here and you got this mu this muscle's got to be pumping in tune to Jesus that's not what he's saying the heart is the center of the emotion. In Western world, it's the center of who we are. In the Old Testament, it was the bowels. So a lot of us are grateful that it's not there anymore. But here we have this engagement of the heart, which Paul is showing us is the center engagement of all that we are. So we offer our heart. Why? Because God has given us a new center of who we are. That's what he promised us. That broken heart that was there, that heart of stone, that, that encased and hardened against God. It says in Ezekiel that, hey, the day's coming. I'm going to take that away. I'm going to give you a new one. Why does he give you a new one? Because it's one where his spirit can reside. It's one where he tells us in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, that Jesus Christ resides by faith. Remember, Jesus busted out of the rock tomb, so he's not going to come live in your rock heart. He's coming to live in the heart that he himself gave. And when we worship, man, it's engaging right there in our heart. And he says there in verse 20, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father. The reason we worship and the reason we are motivated to worship is because we're thankful. We're thankful. 
And you remember the par- remember when Jesus healed those guys? There were some lepers that came to him. There were 10 of them. And they came to Jesus and they're like, man, we're, our ship is sinking fast and we, we, need, we need some help here. And Jesus did what only Jesus could do. He actually healed them. Doctors could treat them, but Jesus healed them. And they turned to walk away. And as they're walking away, one guy's like, wait, wait, wait a second. I gotta tell this man, thank you. And so who goes back over to Jesus and he walks over there and he thanks Jesus. And what did Jesus say to him? Aren't there 10 of you guys? Over in the book of Romans, we find this debased culture, this debased civilization. Everybody wants to point to to, to homosexuality and other things that come out in the book of Romans. But the center of it is in verse 21 of Romans chapter 1 where he says this, that they did not consider themselves, excuse me, they did not consider that they needed to be thankful to God. You will not worship God if you are not thankful to him. You cannot worship God if you are not thankful because if you're not thankful, then you think you've accomplished where you are by yourself, that you've earned your righteousness, that you're standing there on your own merit because you helped enough people, because you gave enough to the church and you did this and you're standing on the mountain of me and what I accomplished. But thankfulness says, what I've done is nothing except for the blood of Christ Jesus thankfulness comes as a source of our worship and a motivation for our worship because we realize that we are where we are because of God that's why I love the book of Ephesians you were dead in your trespasses and sin but God being rich in mercy made you alive you were in the darkness and you didn't have a family but God shined the light of Christ on you and adopted you as his child bringing two opposing groups together and unifying because of him that is motivation for worship and then he goes on in verse 21 and says that we submit to one another in the fear of Christ worship is a voluntary submission of my life Worship is a voluntary submission of my life. Let, let, let me explain to you what I mean by there. Notice in the context of the book of Ephesians, as Paul is talking here about how we live a spirit-filled life, the last clause that he throws in here is a submission to one another in the fear of Christ. This might be one of the hardest things for Americans, submitting to one another. Because we want it our way. We don't want people telling us what to do, what we should do, pointing out error, pointing out, pointing out what's wrong in our life. We want to establish ourselves. That's why the gospel is really, really hard in America in the 21st century. That's why the gospel is so countercultural to everything that we say when we talk about, when, when in our context, we start talking about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We want anything that'll make us happy because we're in a free country. We can say what we want, think what we want, be who we want, do what we want, all these things. But the gospel comes and says, actually, no. No. You might be in America, but you were bought with a price, the blood of Christ, so you are not your own. You're a child of God. And because you're a child of God, you're in the family of God. And if you're in the family of God, you're responsible to the rest of the family of God. And therefore, because of the gospel of Christ Jesus, we voluntarily submit ourselves to one another out of deference to Christ. 
It's not a you got to do what I say. We got to walk together because of what he said. We got to walk together in unity and live our lives according to the spirit of God because of him. Not because the pastor of First Baptist Church of Fairburn said it. Not because some, some bishop somewhere said it. But because God himself said, this is who I made you. This really gets hard because even in the church, we've bought this lie that we can't offend people. And, and Evan, if you start, man, if I go and I start telling, start talking about sin with people, man, they might get upset with me. If, 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 we, start, if we start drawing hard lines around what we believe and, and what we do, then, then man, people, man, they may not show up. saddest verse in all of scripture is John chapter 6 verse 66 Jesus just preached his heart out and he, he, just, he just showed these people in the, in the Judean countryside what it meant to be truly a follower of him and you get to verse 66 of John 6 and it says that they all left they turned and they walked away now, as a pastor, that's comforting because if Jesus can't keep people, man, how am I, what, what, what am I supposed to do, right? But his 12 disciples are standing there and Jesus says, are you wanting to leave too? And he says, where else are we going to go? You alone have the words of life. See, when we voluntarily submit ourselves to one another because of Christ, what we are doing is entrusting our, the care of our souls to brothers and sisters in Christ that want to passionately pursue him and his will to make the name of Christ known in our community and the communities around us because of what he's doing here in our church, not because of what we have established for ourselves, what we think is right and what we're going to do. So the question is, do we want to be part of that crowd that walks the way that they want to walk or do we want to walk right here as wise followers? Followers of Christ together. See, worship comes as this voluntary submission of your life because it's the willingness to say, God, not my will. Not my will, but yours. Jesus Christ himself praying in the garden, God, take, take this cup. Don't, don't, don't fall into the assumption that Jesus was just like ready to run to the cross and excited that yes, I get to be, I get to be crushed and I get to be crucified and beaten. It, no, the joy was set before him so he endured it. The joy was accomplishing the will of God and the salvation of our souls but it wasn't that Jesus was looking forward to the agony because in the garden he said, Father, if there's any other way, let it happen. But not my will yours Jesus Christ voluntarily submitted his life in worship to God so that we by his blood could submit ourselves and worship him as father what about you this morning right here in this congregation right here in this midst as we gather together what about you where is your life whether you're visiting this morning because your child was up here singing a minute ago and we're looking forward to hearing them again. Or maybe you're here because you know somebody that goes here. Maybe you've been going here for 40, 50, 60, 70 years yourself. What about your life? 
Is it a voluntary submission of yourself to God in Christ Jesus? Are you still holding on? Holding on to what you want, what you think, what you've done. Friend, let me tell you this morning. God's not mad at you. He hates your sin. And his wrath will come out on your sin if you enter into eternity without Christ Jesus. But today there is hope. He calls you by name, by the power of his spirit to walk away from your sin, to leave it behind and be washed in the blood of Christ. I know that sounds, man, washed in blood, that sounds so weird. That's just becoming pure in the eyes of God because the blood of Christ covers your sin. Don't leave today. Don't leave today without knowing that you are a child of God, made to worship him, given by the power of the spirit through the cross of Jesus Christ, the ability to worship him as you run lovingly to the arms of your father.